been a while back when I was in chapel speaking, I uh, made an announcement at the, at the beginning warning the group that I was on steroids that day. And uh, these aren't the kind that Terry Bolin takes, by the way. Which, which, which are illegal in some states. They're not, they're not even legal. But these are just the kind that make you feel good, kind of clear up your throat and whatever. So I was on a pretty high dose, and I felt really good, you know. The problem was afterwards, later on that day, a couple of people came up and said, Boy, we, we have a hard time following that sermon this morning in chapel. I said, Did we have chapel today? And... Uh, I said, who spoke? You know, these were really strong. And I, I say all this to tell you I'm, I'm back on steroids this morning. Okay? Not quite as strong. And they're not the kind that Terry takes. But anyway, we're, we're there. Uh, so I sat where some of you first semester freshmen sat many, many years ago. We'll do a little ancient, ancient history and a little ancient modern history today. So this is the ancient modern history. And um, I, I, I remember, this, and I've been to college, seminary, Bible college, university, whatever, and I never got out. I just never left because I went from being a full-time student to being a full-time teacher. A few of those years, I was both at the same time. Those were not particularly uh, good memories, but uh, so I did the total up, and I'm about at, at semester 100 now. Now, I don't think of life in terms of years. I've always thought of life in terms of semesters. So, so I, I, I did the math. It's about 100 here. So uh, this will be my last semester full-time here. And uh, that's been announced in different ways. But um, so I'll try to get used to not being on a semester routine. I'm doing some online classes um, as we go along. So uh, a lot of things I will miss. One of, the, one of those is the great health insurance we have at this school, by the way. But uh, uh, I'm going to be at the mercy of our government here in a few months. And I'm a little bit worried. I'll just tell you one quick story. I called a couple weeks ago to get an appointment just to set up my Medicare Part B. And, and I, we live about two minutes from the, from the office. So I drove over there and walked in, packed house. I said, can I? They said, do you have an appointment? I said, no. I said, can I make an appointment? And they said, no. Okay. So, I mean, no, you, you can't make, you have to call. You cannot come in here and make an appointment. You have to call. So worry number one. So I go home and, and I should have called right there and let them watch me. But that, but that was a 20 minute phone call trying to get somebody to answer. I found a human being after, after 20 minutes and I said, I need to make an appointment to come. They said, you can come and see us next Thursday, October 6th at 2.30. I happen to have an arranged class Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock. I said, is there some other time I could come? Yes, you could come the next Thursday, October 13th at 2.30. I said, one more time, how about any other? Yes, you could come the following week. At So to do this rather basic thing, it had to be at Thursday at 2.30. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about what... I'm sure by the time you need this, things will all be straightened out. You'll be just fine. <laughs> well, over the years, I have developed a love-hate relationship with the book of Daniel. 
Love to study it. Hate some of the meager results I've gotten at times. Wrestling still with some of the concepts and the terms, the little horn and the abomination of desolation and how the 90 weeks start and end and what about the 2,300 evenings and mornings and on and on. on. I'm encouraged by the end of the book where Daniel himself says, what's going on here? And God says, just just rest, okay? It will all work out in the end. Well, fortunately, uh, we're not uh, dealing with those passages. So the good news is we're in chapter 1. The bad news is the topic is discern his will. This is tough. And 100 semesters in seminary and college and teaching don't necessarily help you to be an expert on what it means to discern the will of God. I agreed to do this and they kind of tweaked the topic and changed it. And I just... By the time I realized I was in deep trouble, it was too late to back out. So, so here we are. Background. Let's just look at this slide there. The first few verses of Daniel chapter 1 and 2. In the first year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Third year of Jehoiakim, about 605 B.C., 20 years before the temple and the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. I see two kings there, Jehoiakim and Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, the bad one was Jehoiakim. He was, I have more problems with Jehoiakim than I do with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan. Jehoiakim was supposed to be a, a king uh, serving God. And uh, we can't go into this, but uh, read Jeremiah 26 and chapter 36, and you'll see why I'm not a big fan of Jehoiakim. At one point, he destroys the scroll that Jeremiah has written. At another point, he, takes a, he, he chases a prophet who had been preaching, much like Jeremiah had, that prophet fled to Egypt for his life, and Jeremiah sent, or Jehoiakim sent troops to Egypt to pull Uriah back to Judah, and then had him executed. Nebuchadnezzar, um, ancient history tells us, reigned for 42 years. So that means, and if you look at the last verse of chapter one, it says that Daniel continued his service there till the first year of Cyrus king of Persia. Well, Cyrus was the king who conquered Babylon, which was about 25 years after Nebuchadnezzar. So not only did Daniel function in the Babylonian system for the 42 years of Nebuchadnezzar, but also the 25 years after. So I don't know what kind of pictures you saw in Sunday school about Daniel, but when Daniel got to the lion's den, he was in his 80s. Which is possible why the lions didn't chew him up. I don't remember all the details of the story. Some of that, that's the steroids there. I I, I remember that. Could you imagine 42 years? One good thing about being under Nebuchadnezzar for 42 years, there would be no elections of any kind. I mean, that would be... That would be... Uh, this, this will be the short political stuff, and we'll move on. But I, um, 
This is a strange election cycle. I've seen a lot over my life. I can go back a long way. But this is the strangest one. And one of the things that caught and struck me was as you're driving along the street, there are no signs. This time of year, there are thousands of signs in people's yards about who to vote for. There are no signs. I, I drove five or six miles in. I, I saw two signs on one yard. No, nobody, nobody, people are afraid of telling you who they're going to vote for. And then the politicians are afraid of telling you who they are because I never see the word Democrat or Republican. I mean, no, none of the ads say I'm a... So we're so the politicians are afraid of the parties they represent. The people are afraid of telling us who they're going to vote for. So it's not great. I, I confess that. And it, it, some would say, well, it couldn't get any worse. But yes, it could. Um, and actually, I was thinking about, again, where was I... What was going on in my life during the time I was kind of in your phase? So I thought, well, Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 42 years. Let's jump back 42 years. And I just did that one day, and I was kind of shocked at what I ended up with. First of all, and this is all true, mostly. (laughs) Um, But 42, today, October 18th, 42 years ago, we had no vice president in our country. I'm not kidding. There was no vice president. Budget cuts, you know, he couldn't afford it. What's he do anyway? And who even knows who he is? So we did. Well, that's not true. But we we had no vice president for four months. We had no vice president. The reason for that was that on August 9th, 1974, um, Gerald Ford became the 38th president as as vice president taking over for Richard Nixon, who resigned in disgrace in connection with his cover-up roles, dealing with an illegal political activity at a place known as Watergate, which has become famous. There have been a lot of gates since Watergate. The most, probably most important gate has been Deflate Gate for, oh, there are some, there are some football fans. And, uh, yeah. I mean, how could Tom Brady have beaten the, the, the Colts 45-7 to 7, unless he had, you know, a special ball that would have helped him do that? I could never figure that out. So, here's the situation. We have a man in the White House who never was elected president, and a man, and, and no vice president. So, that's kind of weird. And they said, well, at least Gerald Ford was elected vice president. That's something, you know. At least, well, no, that's not true either. He was not even elected as vice president because eight months earlier, the vice president had resigned from office in disgrace. His name name was Spiro T. Agnew. To avoid being charged with bribery, extortion, and tax evasion, he resigned as vice president. Gerald Ford was leading uh, House of Representatives uh, figure, so he becomes the vice president. So, So Gerald Ford never was elected as vice president, never was elected as president. And he served as president of the United States. It was a strange time. The country survived. Uh, Ford, in retrospect, is viewed as an important healing influence over our country's political landscape. He tried to run for re-election. It didn't work very well. He beat out a newcomer in the primaries known as Ronald Reagan. He beat him. But he ran up against a peanut farmer from Georgia named Jimmy Carter. Uh, the governor of Georgia, and Jimmy Carter won a very close election. He later praised Gerald Ford's role in his healing of the nation 
at that time. So Gerald Ford had the shortest presidency of anyone who didn't die in office. Okay, that's some distinction. He, he also, this is maybe not a coincidence, he lived the longest. He died at the age of 93 a few years back. And maybe, just maybe, all history could have changed because he was a great football player in college and both the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers wanted to sign him to a professional football contract and said he went into politics. So I'm not sure what would have happened had Gerald Ford become a Packer instead of the President of the United States. I joked earlier, but elections do have consequences. I've been reading a book called uh, To Change the World by James Davison Hunter. It's rather a deep, complicated book. I wasn't quite in the mood for that, but I've been working through it. But Hunter basically says, you know, to change the world is hard. And there are a lot of uh, uh, big, big issues that relate to the changes that have taken place in our world. And one of the conclusions from that and other things is that I don't think we can make America a Christian nation from the ballot box. That's just not... But I do say we can make America a better nation. And that's, that's what my vote is about, not because I have the hopes that somehow this new candidate's going to Christianize the world and we're all going to be a, a great utopia. Um, as Christians, we need to practice the faithful presence of our lives wherever we are, in whatever circumstances. And so I encourage you to do that, make that vote, make that vote count, and try to make this country a better place. Well, the uh, concept of discernment is not simple. I've got another slide up here. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand, he could discern. The Hebrew word is often translated as discern, visions and dreams of all kinds. Uh, Four or five different words we could talk about. The most prevalent word in the Hebrew language for the concept of discerning is the Hebrew verb bean, so like, like, like a bean, and the noun bina. And um, you know, we had the camp, uh, I have a camp team suggestion named something like servant or not servant or the, uh, I, I, I quit years ago suggesting camp team names because when I first came here, I, I thought I had a couple good ideas. I kept throwing them by camp teams. Nobody ever took it. They came up with names like, you know, Solid or uh, Chosen, which is good, Amazed, which I thought was amazing. But, but my thought was, why not a Hebrew expression? So I came up with one, and it, and it meant something like understanding his covenant. I thought that's a spiritual, understanding his covenant. Bean burrito. I I thought it was perfect. I, I, I thought, what's what's wrong with them? You know, no. It's still available, by the way, in case any of you are are looking for something. Let me read on in Daniel a little bit. It's not on your screen there, but um, during the night, it says, a mystery was revealed to Daniel, and he praised God, and he says, the God who changes times and seasons and sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Daniel chapter 2. 
Proverbs says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. And though it cost you everything, get discernment or understanding. We had that series, that the messy series for a few weeks there. And I just was blown away by some of the concepts and ideas. I loved what Howie Nunley said. He said, what would an 80-year-old you tell a 20-year-old you and uh, gave me some thought i hope that can give you some thought too caleb kaltenbach talked about living in tension kind of relates to our election cycle be known for what you are for not against or embrace the difference between acceptance and approval and then finally one that we need to be reminded of all the time. Don't try to fix people, but point them to Jesus. I thought those were real some wisdom nuggets and lessons of discernment. Well, the first point in the outline says we may face changes and transitions in life as we seek to discern God's will. And God may use challenging circumstances to demonstrate his will. In verse 3, the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family. Young men, without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Change, transition. Can can you see the changes that are being described in this particular passage? The kind of changes these men, young men, underwent. They were brought in from Judah, transported from their home, never to see it again. Transported to Babylon, a new culture, a new civilization. They were to be taught the language and literature of the Babylonians. Um, If you meet Daniel in heaven, don't complain about the Ozark grading scale, okay? He won't be that impressed by that. The Babylonian language alone has 500 signs just to be able to, to read the language, let alone all of the implications of the literature that they were to teach and the, the different languages that Daniel probably learned. We're told the king assigned them new foods and and that they were to be trained for three years and then they would enter all these changes that take place in the lives and so much so that even their names are changed which says something about the fact that we're in charge and you're not and we have power over your lives and welcome to your new name they showed them their gave them their new names 
As the ground sometimes shifts underneath our feet, we really need to ask ourselves how well we are standing. And to what I'm not going to go the political route here. I'll, I'll say this to you as students that um, as you study, as you read His Word, as you read the textbooks, as you as you read the blogs and the many other sources of information that we have, that um, that you seek to stand firm and and. And discern the, the the warning signs that are out there. Um, my daughter Laura has a has two uh, basset hounds, but the one a while back got away. It, it was lost, and she called up pretty distraught. Not and she just because basset hounds and, and and it had a chip in it, and somebody it was going on to the interstate twenty five entrance ramp when a truck pulled over and grabbed the dog and took it to the. To the Humane Society there, and they did the phone calls, and Lori got her dog back. But but a basset hound, I thought, what a dumb dog. No, a, a basset hound just has this incredible sense of smell. And any new tintillating scent, it's gone. And then it gets there, and then some other new scent comes along, and zoom, it's over there. And then it catches wind of some other intoxicating odor, and boom, it's over there. And it never gets back home. It never finds its way back. I've had some colleagues, I've had some former students that I think embraced change to the point that they were just looking for change. They were looking for the next latest new thing that was out there spiritually, intellectually, biblically. Um, We need to embrace change. We also need to guard our hearts as we look at the changing ground around us and then the challenge the challenge uh, challenging circumstances you know we talk about open and closed doors i kind of get a little bit uneasy sometimes because sometimes it seems like we think god's will is the is the most you know simple path that we could follow Where, where are the less the least obstacles on our journey and uh, the path of least resistance. And then, well, what are our gifts and talents? So let's really emphasize that. That must be where God is leading me because I have certain abilities and certain gifts and be a waste not to use those and I'm going to just focus on those. Sometimes um, things like perseverance and overcoming get lost in the shuffle. And so changes can come and challenges can come. Um, my home church was First Christian Church in Springfield. My, my home minister was named John, and John was not the greatest preacher in the world. He would tell you that. He, he said that. When he interviewed for the church, he said, I'm not a great pulpit preacher. Now, if you want some, someone to knock on doors and go into homes and work with people one-on-one, and, and uh, that's what I love to do, but I'm not going to be a great speaker and they said well you know that's okay so he went there his first church in cincinnati for nine years where he preached he would walk the streets of cincinnati at night two in the morning sunday morning thinking through a sermon trying to get the nerves calmed down it was hard preaching a sermon was about the most difficult thing he ever did in his life and he did it every sunday sometimes he'd become physically ill as he walked because of the stress. 
Each Monday after the sermon, he would quit. His wife would say, wait till Wednesday to make up your mind. And then by Wednesday, you know, so every week, every week, every week, he came to Springfield and sure enough, after a while, people were saying, you're not a very good preacher. He said, well, I warned you that. I told you that, you know, so why are we... And this came to a head, and it looked like maybe he would be leaving. They just, uh, a, lot of, a lot of tension going on. It all came to a head in 1948 at the June picnic when, uh, at, a, at a picnic, and, and they had John and his wife, Lita, on stage there or in front of the crowd, and they decided it would be cool to have a Bible quiz where they would ask the preacher and his wife questions and see who knew the most answers. Now, this, you couldn't make this up, really. This is just beyond my belief that, first of all, he would agree to do that. That's a no, that's a no win. So while they're doing this, and I, I think the wife was, Lita was pretty sharp, but anyway, uh, they, as they were doing this, and John was probably sp- sweating bullets, they, they, they pushed in a brand new 1948 Chevrolet behind them with a sign that said a love gift to our minister. So that sealed the deal. They had a wild vacation driving this brand new car all the way to Iowa just for home. And John stayed a few more years as the preacher there, 50 years to be exact. He died a few years ago at the age of 100. One thing I would say about him, uh, when I was near him, I felt close to God. I felt close to God. He overcame a lot of challenges to be the effective leader that he was. Over a hundred Bible college students came out and ministers and missionaries came out of that congregation. Well, secondly, we must seek the will of the one who is in control. We see that in the book of Daniel, how God is the one in control, even though Nebuchadnezzar and other rulers think that they are. God is the one in control. And, and there's a, there's a, several of your speakers will develop some of these themes later. But there's an interesting, but I think powerful, little subtle hint in the book of Daniel about all of this. I'm a linguist, so I'm going to put a couple words up here for you. And the, there's a Hebrew word and an Aramaic word, mana and mena. Uh, and mana is Hebrew and mena is Aramaic. Half the book of Daniel is Hebrew and half the book of Daniel is Aramaic. Related languages, but different. Chapter 1 is Hebrew. Chapters 2 through 7 are Aramaic. And chapters 8 through 12 go back to Hebrew. Daniel was bilingual. He lived in a bilingual world. And so mana or mena means to count, to reckon, to number, to appoint. To assign. Obviously, the one who does the assigning, the one who does the appointing, is the one who is in charge. So we have a number of verses, no screens for this, but, but we, we learned that in chapter 1, verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food. That's the word mana. Or verse 10, the official says, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you your food, mana. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed, that's mana, over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then in chapter 2, where the Aramaic starts, and it's now Menah, but Daniel went to Arioch, and whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, Menah, 
chapter 2, verse 49, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Manah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, all of these references to appointing have an interesting twist when we come to chapter 5, and you'll see the screen there. The handwriting on the wall, where the message to the king of Babylon at that time is, this is the inscription, the interpretation of what was written. Mene, that's our word, Mene, Tekel Parson. This is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You see, the Babylonian kings made a lot of appointments and assignments, but God gets the last assignment. Well, three, God determining God's will may take longer than ten days. That's kind of a pun based on what happens there. There's this ten-day test where they go on a vegetable diet. There have been books written about this. I wouldn't trust any of them. Um, Rick Warren has a Daniel diet thing that's funny, but it's not worth the price for funny, you know. So, there are theories about this, and real quickly, maybe this has to do with with the dietary laws. Maybe this has to do with unclean animals or the preparation of animals. Maybe it has to do with the idea that these meats may have been consecrated to foreign foreign gods. Uh, Perhaps these wines were libations as offerings. So we don't know all the dynamics of what took place. We know that later Daniel was on seemingly a normal diet. Chapter 10 suggests that this was not a continuing process. There's one, the one thing that I found was, I thought was kind of intriguing. Uh, the next slide here. Out of the book of Ezra, we have a reference. These are Persian officials writing back to the king of Persia. And they say, now since, this is Ezra 4.14. Now since we are under obligation to the palace, it is not proper for us to see the kings dishonored. We are sending this message to inform the king. So we're under obligation. The ESV renders this literally. Now because we eat the salt of the palace, and it's not fitting for us to witness a king's dishonor, therefore we send and inform the king. What's it mean to be under obligation? The literal Hebrew says uh, to eat the salt of the palace. I would suggest that possibly through revelation, but possibly through their own spiritual discernment, Daniel and his friends saw a line that had to be drawn, that was drawn in the sand. And they said, here and no farther. Number four, we must begin with discerning God's revealed will. That's not usually where we like to start. We're kind of interested in what, who am I going to marry, and where's my ministry going to be, and when will this happen? And when I mess up, God, how can we fix it? What's your will for me to get out of this impossible situation? And sometimes we don't go back to the starting point, which is the revealed will of God. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of of the reign of Darius, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. That's being. I discerned. You know, Daniel was an inspired prophet who still saw fit to read the scriptures. He was in the book of Jeremiah. He was reading from the prophet about what the future held. And he discerned from the scriptures. Psalm 119, you'll see these verses. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, and then I will keep them to the end. Give me discernment. 
understanding, and I will keep your law, and I will obey it with all of my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. The fifth point is seeking God must, seeking God's will must include seeking God. It's not enough to seek an abstract idea. Daniel, it says, resolved not to defile himself. Chapter 1, verse 8. Literally, that means he put it in his heart. Daniel put it in his heart not to defile himself. Or chapter 2, verse 18, where Daniel urged his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Or chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, and Daniel says, I turned to the Lord God, and I pleaded with him in prayer, in petition, in fasting, in sackcloth, in ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned. And we have done wrong. And we have been wicked. And we have rebelled. And we have turned away from your commands and your laws. Not just seeking God's will, but seeking the living God. Back in the College Heights a few weeks back, Shane Wood preached on prayer. And he reminded us that prayer is not just speaking to God but also listening to God. And we need to practice and embrace God's presence in our lives. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And finally, discerning God's will is a journey of faith. Daniel and his friends experienced that journey in their lives. You know some of the stories, you, some of you grew up in the church learning about the lion's den and learning about the fiery furnace and other obstacles that took place. Let me come back to a journey of faith. I'll close with this, and it's a story, and it comes back to my preacher, John. It's a story that has consequences for literally everyone in this room. John was a young man growing up in Iowa who loved, who, who knew God. He, he was a good boy who had a yearning for God, but he didn't know how that could play out. He didn't understand really what it meant to be a Christian. And it wasn't until godly leaders... He was a, he was a book salesman. He, he sold Thompson Chain Reference Bibles. And he would go different places. He met some preachers from the Christian church that sat him down and talked to him. And what that ultimately resulted in was his baptism, August twentieth, 1931... Twenty days later, he was in Bible college. He'd heard about this school. You see the picture of it. He was a little bit disappointed because he'd been to a college in Kansas City. And he, and he was told to go to this new Bible college in Cincinnati. He got there and he just saw this building on a hill. This is an old picture of an old picture of an old picture there. Um, I had an office in the second floor for, for a few years when I first started teaching. He went to Bible college. First place he stopped was the president's office. That's what you usually do when you come on campus for the first time. You go see the president. And, uh, but he did. And the president realized he was in trouble. He had no money. Had no prospects. Tuition was 75 bucks a semester. Hallelujah. But that was out of reach at the time. He said, look, you can take classes, sit in classes. You can't, you can't live in the dorm. You can't eat in our cafeteria. 
So you're going to have to make do, do something. He told him, there's a revival tonight, XYZ church in town. Go to that revival. There'll be some people who can help you. And he went to the revival, and there were. And they realized what his situation was. Several bought Bibles from him. Several gave him money. He was able to find a deal where he could, could live for $2.50 a week with breakfast free, which was sometimes his only meal, he said. And he lived that first semester at Cincinnati Bible Seminary and was enthralled by the things that he learned. And he came to understand and discern God's will for his life. Christmas came and he decided, and several girls lived in Iowa and they said, we'd like to go to Iowa for Christmas. They bought a cheap car, a really cheap car. We're talking like the $15, $20, $30 range car. And if, if John would drive them home, he could then go home and visit family. And, and that's what happened. It was a 1921 Model T, I believe. It was an open touring car. There were no windows in the car. This was December, going to Iowa. Um, there was no heater in the car. The floorboards were missing, many of them, so you could see the ground as you were driving. And the, and the gas tank was right, right under the driver's seat, which would make, make me a little uncomfortable. But... And they take off. Well, the first thing, they put oil cloth around the car to make sure they can block the wind out a little bit. They, they cut a hole out in the driver's window so he could reach out and do hand signals. And I guess could kind of look out a little bit. And then they took off on this nearly 2,000-mile trip to Iowa. The school got, in the, got into the spirit of they prayed for the They prayed for their journey. One girl wrote a poem about the car. Uh, they named the car Weona, like we own a car, you know. Uh, they had a prayer service. They dedicated the car, and they sent them out, many of them thinking they're never going to make it. Uh, Two and a half days later, they got to their home, which should be like a day trip for us, but they got to the Mississippi River, the car stalled, they had to get a new clutch, and they came back to Cincinnati after their trip over Christmas break, and they, by the time they got to the, to the Cincinnati, the, the car was shot, the brakes went out while they were in town, and so they drove through a lot of Cincinnati without brakes. They would kind of know where to stop and start, slow down, put the car into reverse right when you got, you know, to a place. Finally, a policeman saw them running a red light, which is what they had to do, and pulled them over. And as he pulled them over, the girls all started to cry. And, and the policeman realized, this is a mess, and I don't really want to be responsible for this. So he ex- explained to them all the things that would happen when they went to court, because there were like four or five First of all, John says, you know, when he looked out the hole in the window to talk to the policeman, he knew he was in trouble right there. Okay, that wasn't going to work. And so they went to court. The final fine, the policeman said, if I don't show up, it only cost you three bucks. If I show up, it's more expensive, so I'm not coming. And so uh, six of them each paid 50 cents. They all went to court. As they go to the court, everybody rose and stood, and, and John's future wife said, oh, they're getting ready to pray. He said, no, they're standing for the judge coming in. And this is what's going to happen. They sold that car for three bucks, I think, is what the final price was. And they were back home. But something eventful happened that Christmas. And that was that John was able to witness to and talk with his brother, Seth. Now, you'll hear about Seth Wilson around here. You've heard the name. This is my home preacher. It was Seth's older brother, John. And Seth, unlike John, didn't go to college for several years after high school. 
But unlike John, who didn't like to read books, Seth loved to read books. And John said, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about the Lord. And, and on New Year's Eve, uh, at a worship service where John preached that night, Seth came forward and gave his life to Christ and was baptized into Christ. When John had been baptized years, uh, year, uh, just a few months earlier, his mother said, John, she was very unhappy. She'd been, they'd all been sprinkled. She was very unhappy with the fact that her son, by being immersed, sort of was saying, hey, you're all wrong. When Seth was immersed, she was still unhappy. Many years ago, at the age of 85, she would fly to Ohio and be immersed by her son. Well, Seth was baptized, began his journey in faith. John went, uh, John went back to school. That summer, John said to Seth, why don't you come to Bible college with me? And Seth was ready to go. Their mother said, do not try to make a preacher out of Seth. Please don't do that. John didn't promise that. John just said, well, I'll, I'll take good care of him. Not sure what he meant by that, because as they began their journey with no money and no car, and they hitchhiked the 800 miles to get to go to Bible College at Cincinnati Bible Seminary. And a journey of faith for a young man has had eternal consequences through the ministry of First Christian Church in Springfield, Ohio, where hundreds of servants have gone out all over the world, and through the ministry of Ozark Christian College, as Seth Wilson and the long shadow that he has. And by the way, both men are about we're about this tall. What's your journey of faith? Each step that we take, we discern more of what God's will is for our lives, and I pray that He will bless you as you seek that journey. Shall we pray? Father, we acknowledge your presence in our lives. We acknowledge our dependence upon you. We are glad that you are the one in control and the one who never changes and the one we can put our faith and confidence in. We pray your blessing on this place, upon our lives, as we seek to discern your will and know you. And may you be given all.